0: I think he must have been chuckling to himself and thinking, these suckers don't know what they're in for when we reason together. He knew the context.
1: Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book, I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner.
0: Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom.
1: Paul, you wanted to talk about the Bible and your book is Common Errors in English Usage. And I thought, oh, this is great. We're going to talk about the Bible and language use. And uh, I was going to ask you if you happen to know what game God was playing when when he created the universe. Nope. No, no, you don't, okay, uh, well, it was baseball, really,, uh, and we know this because uh Genesis starts out with in the beginning,
0: <laughs> oh jeez,
1: God created you know that was the beginning,
0: yeah, yeah, okay, the beginning, yeah.
1: Uh, Uh, So I thought that's probably what you want to talk about is some puns and some bad jokes that are related
0: to misreadings.
1: Yes. Yes. Is that what we're going to talk about?
0: Well, uh, it's several different kinds of things. Uh, Misinterpretations, uh, problematic translations and taking things out of context and and so on. Um, This could be done in all kinds of ways and some of them fairly heavy duty, which I'm not going to do here. This is a little on the lighter side, Um, but I thought I'd I'd start by talking a little bit about how I used to teach the Bible as literature. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I've discussed this somewhat before, but I just want to uh, repeat that my approach was historical and secular. That is, I wasn't trying to convey any particular religious views, but uh, studying uh, the background, the cultural, anthropological, archaeological, uh, mythical background of biblical texts, and then try to uh, understand what scholars have had to say about the intent of the original writers of the text, and then what later writers uh, made of the text. A good example of that is uh, the books of First and Second Kings. Uh, large parts are... Are rewritten and revised in first and second chronicles um, where the jewish ideas had changed a great deal and uh, among other things they had much higher opinion of king david for instance and so you get a lot of revisionism going on in there and then of course the, the most controversial of all the the christian gospel writers taking the uh, passages from the jewish bible and uh, making them into prophecies of jesus and of course that's a really sore point for jews and a crucial point for fundamentalist christians uh, in which the the jews look at those passages and say look this has a completely different context from what you're giving it that's that's not what those words mean and the gospel writers having a a very fixed idea of uh, the connection with their own beliefs and then, of course, what the early church made of uh, these writings, what the medieval church made of these writings, what the Catholic dominated views were, what modern scholars made of them. Uh, so there's there're layer after layer after layer of interpretation. and so there are many, many ways to read the Bible, and it's a, a multifaceted subject, and it depends partly on your your beliefs. What, what you're going to see when you look at a particular text and what you're going to think is important. And one of the things I used to point out to my students is if you're a liberal Christian, you're probably going to put a lot of emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount and um, the ideals of peace and forgiveness and love and so on. And if you're a certain kind of fundamentalist, uh, then the book of Romans is going to be central and it's all going to be about the importance of faith, belief, and uh, and so on. So uh, it, it, the way that you contextualize a particular text uh, is going to have a huge influence on your understanding of everything else. One of the things to understand from a modern scholarly point of view is that the Bible is not seen by modern scholars as a book it's a library and it's several libraries it's the first five books which make up the jewish torah uh, there are additional works in hebrew that are accepted into uh, the jewish tanakh there is then additional works written in greek which were accepted by some jews at one time later accepted by christians as canonical some of those then kicked out of the bible by the christians Uh, some retained by the Catholic Church, others taken out by the Protestants. And so there's just layer upon layer upon layer that builds up and makes it a very, very complex subject. I'm not going to try to go in any detail into any of that. Um, But I thought we'd start with a commonly misunderstood one that is actually treated in the book.
1: Yeah, and but just to recap what you're saying, we're in the era now where, Six or seven hundred books get published every week or or more, or something like that, and the Bible goes back, of course, to a time when um, there were not a lot of texts that were widely distributed, and the Bible seems to be an attempt to bring together uh, a lot of different um, writings and traditions, and so I put them into one book, and that's how we get the Bible. Is that about right?
0: I wouldn't say that I'd mm-hmm. say it's still not one book. <laughs> yeah well there there is edited right
1: it's an anthology or something no
0: no even that is not true because for jews the bible is a very different thing from christians they they're different collections made at different times are called the bible and this this happens over centuries a very long complex process um and so it's never uh, there's not a time at which the definitive text is settled and everybody agrees because there are still these books that are called deuterocanonical that are accepted by the catholics as inspired and are rejected by protestants there is still a, a very small minority of jews who identify the torah as the only the first five books uh, the Pentateuch as the only inspired book that's for them, the Bible. So there isn't just one book called the Bible that everybody agreed on, and it certainly didn't come together just in one time at one place.
1: Yeah, I uh, well, I didn't actually mean to imply that per se, but to the extent that there is a Bible now um, that we hold together as a, a collection of of. Books of the Bible,
0: unless or, we're
1: Jews, unless we're Jews, right? <laughs> there's the Torah. and the, but it, but there's you know um, uh, what I, I guess what I'm trying to imply here is that even though it is an ongoing project and a changing project, uh, the concept of even having a Bible, is something akin to the Norton anthology of English literature, which of course (laughs) changes over time and people, authors get dropped and other authors, certain trends show up and things move in and out of it. But um, uh, it is in itself an attempt to bring together these writings that convey different aspects of this, of this religion but at the same time it, cre- it creates a lot of disc- there are a lot of discrepancies and a lot of contradictions and a lot of things that come into play uh, i'm just doing biblical scholarship here for for dummies <laughs> i'm just <laughs> i'm not trying to to yeah. be make a sophisticated extra sophisticated point about it but this is a handle that uh, someone like me who's not a biblical scholar can kind of have on it because i think there is this perception that the bible is the bible and that's how it was and that's how it always will be right. and uh there was a there was a a summit where <laughs> there was one summit where all the scholars got together and all of the uh priests uh, got together and they all decided that this is the bible and that 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 settled it Now, forever. Well, in effect, that's what's happened by now. But this is many, many, many years later. Uh, This was an ongoing process creating what the books of the Bible are now.
0: Well, I'm I'm still going to insist that there never was a time at which there was one Bible with one canon. It just never happened
1: but but there is now isn't there no there's not okay no there's not right.
0: if you ask a jewish person what's the bible uh-huh, they will okay. give you one answer yeah. ask a catholic what's the bible they'll give you another answer mm. ask a protestant what's the bible you'll get another answer those are all bibles and they all have a legitimate claim to the term
1: what's the difference between a catholic and a protestant bible
0: there's about seven books written in greek um which are like, and, and, and things like the additions to the book of Daniel, which were uh, admired by the early church, the early Catholic church, but which eventually the church decided were non-canonical. Uh, the book of, of wisdom is one of the better ones. A really, really interesting, beautifully written book. The test developed with the idea that uh, the Bible books of the Christian scriptures were written by the disciples of Jesus, and that's not something I want to go into in any great length. Just to say that the vast majority of non fundamentalist scholars don't agree with that and think that the the names of the writers there, uh, although they are also the names of the disciples, are these that these are not really the disciples that they're people influenced by paul and then we have a number of letters that are attributed to paul that most scholars think are not actually by him or attributed to him so there's there was a lot of discussion about what what the bible was and uh, those deuterocanonical books secondary books got booted out by the catholic uh, by the By the protestants they were thought to be secondary but inspired and and useful for teaching by the catholic church martin luther and the others adopted this very strict view saying no they're not and so they were rejected from protestant bibles so right there you have this big division between the two and it's always was interesting in my class when we would get to some of those deuterocanonical books the uh, the kids who thought they knew the Bible inside out would realize their copy of the Bible didn't even have these books in it, mm-hmm. and yet they are part of the, the Catholic tradition. So, yeah, that's really important. Things have not changed much since the Protestant Bible came out. Um, there have been various scholars who tried to argue that, for instance, the book of Revelation doesn't really belong, not with a lot of success among religious people but uh, one of the more interesting editors of the bible for me was uh, thomas jefferson who oh
1: yeah that's right the jefferson went th- bible went yeah.
0: through his bible and and yeah. cut out the passages he liked and pasted them together yeah essentially uh, avoiding any reference to jesus as being son of god or or in any way uh, a divine figure and making him a wise teacher instead and there's a story i don't know how true it is that one of the um, Swearing-in ceremonies for a president involved somebody saying, "Wouldn't it be a cool idea to use Thomas Jefferson's Bible to swear him in without realizing that it was a highly unconventional text?"
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, of course, I never read the Jefferson Bible, but as I understand it, uh, it's a uh, a very yeah a very genteel presentation of what Christianity is, and uh, I guess because. He's primarily a political figure. Jefferson wanted to emphasize the social good of, uh, of of the teachings of Jesus. Is that about right?
0: Right. He was essentially a deist. He was somebody who didn't really believe in, in prayer and miracles and all of that kind of things, part of that 18th century movement that a number of our founding fathers belonged to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was trying to extract what he thought were the more rational and humanistic elements from the bible
1: yeah i guess that's what i mean is he didn't want to uh emphasize that miracles will solve your problems right uh being being a good person or you know being kind toward others that's the sort of thing that's going to move us forward
0: Uh, there's an interesting um other thing which is not really a version of the bible um but it's called the woman's bible and was uh edited by or created by elizabeth cady stanton and a committee of feminists in the 19th century who were g- trying to uh do a feminist critique of the bible passage by passage so the the first part is on the pentateuch and the second part is on judges kings prophets and apostles i have a copy of it it's pretty interesting but it's a running commentary on the Bible from a, an early feminist point of view.
1: All right. Well, I think you've sufficiently made your point that the the Bible isn't just the thing that shows up uh, at the side of the – it used to be in the hotels everywhere, right? The –
0: Right.
1: The Gideons used to run around and, and deposit them in hotel rooms. Do they still do that? Is that st- still? I don't do know. That? I
0: haven't run across the Gideon Bible in quite a while.
1: Yeah, but uh, that Bible was decidedly, I think, a Protestant Bible. Uh,
0: yeah, and I know the Gideons also just sometimes passed out Gospels, or, or the, uh, the, what the Christians call the New Testament Oh, separately.
1: Right, they would just leave the Old Testament out entirely.
0: Well, when they when they were handing them out on the street, it's a lot smaller. And yeah. Easier yeah. to deal with.
1: Yeah, uh, I still I think maybe somewhere have my New Testament only Bible uh, that was handed out in Sunday school. Yeah. Um But uh, so it's not it's not just a matter of that. There are a lot of aspects. There's the so-called there's a of course there's the King James version is the classic and that there's the revised standard version which was an updating of the, yeah. the language of the King James and
0: the new english version my yeah. my favorite actually is one that's kind of faded the Jerusalem Bible when the um, catholic church went through a you know, tremendous upheaval in the 60s and 70s the Jesuits put together a new translation of the bible based on modern scholarship Mm-hmm. Uh, which is much more liberal in its point of view than anything had been seen before, and the footnotes in it are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, the Jerusalem Bible seems to have been—I don't know if it was repudiated or just sort of silently passed over—but there's now the Catholic Bibles that are circulating are n- not so out there as the Jerusalem Bible. Mm-hmm. Still makes it. One thing I liked about the Jerusalem Bible was it paid great attention to literary quality. So the poetry really sounds like poetry beautifully written.
1: And there Uh, have been attempts to, uh, uh, bring it really up to modern language. I remember a, the Living Bible was a translation yeah. that was made for uh, young young kids in the 60s. So right. The, right.
0: Oh yeah. There've yeah. been all kinds of translations. Yeah. And often people uh, assume that differences of people's interpretation in biblical passages have to do with mistranslation. That's a really common thing to hear, which is not usually the case, but there is one that I wanted to start by talking about here.
1: Right, let's get to the topic here. My, I guess my, my role here is to completely derail you from what you want to talk about, <laughs> whether I'm doing bad puns or uh, running back and forth about the different uh, iterations of the Bible through the years. It's extremely important material, and there are a lot of words and phrases that uh, we have incorporated into our daily lives, and so let's get into those.
0: Well, the one I wanted to start with is Through a Glass Darkly. And you see that used a lot. It turns up in literature, it turns up in news reporting. Um, and it's it's kind of amazing. One thinks of kind of peering through a dirty window or something. Well, because it's through a glass darkly, meaning. It comes from First Corinthians thirteen, twelve, chapter thirteen, verse twelve. And Paul is trying to explain how our mortal understanding is limited and imperfect. We we can't really understand the truth in this life. That's one of Paul's big arguments, is that faith comes first, and uh, ultimately all will be revealed, but the important thing is to have faith now. And that's certainly something that a lot of Christians put a lot of emphasis on. So, and it's, And it's an answer to people who... Criticize religion in rational terms by saying, well, of course, we can't know everything now. It'll all be revealed later. So he compares the way that we see things now to a dim and watery view reflected in a typical Roman-style polished bronze mirror. We have quite a few of these Greek and and Roman mirrors. They didn't have um, the kind of glass with mercury backing that uh, modern mirrors are. What they used for mirrors was just a very highly polished surface, and bronze was uh, the popular one. They were often very elaborately decorated. I've seen uh, bronze mirrors from Rome with a figure of Venus carved into them, which would be appropriate if a pretty woman was going to look into the the mirror to see check out her looks. So uh, what he's saying actually is, for now we see in a mirror darkly, but it was translated by the King James translation, which is a great literary translation. Of course, by far the most influential translation of the Bible in English. For now, we see through a glass darkly. Okay, instead of mirror, it came out as glass. Now, clearly, although they had glass, there were glass bottles, especially in Egypt and in Rome. But they weren't using it for reflection, for reflective purposes. So um, by the time King James comes around, we do have glass mirrors. And the word glass came to be used to mean a mirror mirror. Look at yourself in a glass. It's a looking glass. Mm-hmm. We still have that term. And so they translated it. Uh, we see through a glass darkly. But why through? Because it's not what Paul is trying to say. He's thinking of in. You're looking at your reflection in a mirror. But but by writing through a glass, it makes it sound like you're looking through, like I said, a, a, a window, maybe a, dark, a dirty window. And so that confused things. Nobody knows why that particular choice of through was chosen. It's something people have tried to puzzle out. Most other translations and modern translations say as in a mirror, a blurred image in a mirror and so on. But King James is so influential that the old wording still goes on.
1: So the misperception here is that it's, you're sort of looking through a dirty window, (laughs) but That isn't the original meaning of it, and this is also a little confusing to me. Why did a one of the great rock bands uh, ever call one of their greatest hits albums "Through the Past Darkly"? (laughs) You know, that's one of those titles I saw as a kid for Rolling Stones collection, and puzzled me forever because, of course, you know I'm. I don't get the reference. <laughs> and uh, they're always more literary than they, they seem to be. And uh, that was a reference, of course, to the same
0: passage. Right. Okay. I won't put anything in here about beer goggles, I guess. but <laughs> <laughs> That's another way to distort your vision.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: uh, okay. So that's mistranslation, really. I mean, elegant, beautiful, influential, and wrong.
1: Yes. Yeah and And it is a very it is a very strange thing to hear through through a glass darkly hmm.
0: yeah. so this other one is uh, an example of a verse taken out of context so um, Lyndon Baines Johnson is uh, very famous for his negotiating tactics, which involved a lot of intimidation. He would use the threats and bribes—not not money bribes, but uh, influence and, and horse trading—to get his way. He was uh, uh, sometimes would humiliate uh, people by summoning him in to uh, continue their conversation in the bathroom while he was on the toilet. He was uh, a very hard bargaining guy who used every bit of leverage he had, often for very good causes. Can't help being resentful for what he did about the Vietnam War, but he did bring home the civil rights legislation that was uh, one of his chief concerns. And he used to like to refer to his process of negotiation with a Bible verse, come, let us reason together this is from isaiah 1 18. and um you often will see it referred to today it's very very common in per- current discussions uh, when they're talking about the state of the current congress and the way that uh, the republicans won't do anything that uh, Obama wants or the Democrats and Republicans can't make deals with each other and everybody lamenting the good old days when the opposite parties would sit down and discuss things in a reasonable fashion. Actually, they exaggerate <laughs> how frequent that was.
1: Yeah, I I, I think the movie uh, Lincoln put some of that to rest.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Right. So I decided, well, let me see what the context of that is. Let us reason together. Sounds very nice. But here's what it says actually in Isaiah. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it.
1: (laughs) That's
0: got a little more, a little, a little twist to it. It's not exactly. See, I can't help. Johnson knew his Bible, uh-huh. and despite what people say about him, I think he must have been chuckling to himself and thinking, "These mm-hmm. suckers don't know what they're in for when we reason together." I see. Yeah, yeah. And he knew, he knew the context.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a that's an interesting, of sort of subversive use of the phrase. Uh, if you look at it that way we're just getting started with some of these phrases from the bible we spent a fair amount of time giving the background of what the bible is very interesting discussion there but i would like to get into more of these phrases uh next time uh if we can absolutely all right great thank you paul so long That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.